You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Ooh, welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson. A couple of winners, Major League Baseball winners today, sweeping the opponents, the Rangers and the Twins. Moving on, the Twins for the first time in 21 years, I think. 20, 21 tries, whatever it was. Kyle can tell you. I just I, I tweeted this, but I remember in fourth grade, 2002, and so this is like prime Tory Hunter. Like he's the best defensive center fielder in baseball. I'm getting to the age where it's kid pitch and like you're starting to maybe play select and all stars in the summer and all that. So I love baseball. And we had the afternoon game in the ALDS against the Oakland A's. This is also while Bonds is, you know, just ripping it to right field every single at bat. Just remember that era, like in the summer at grandma's house, watching Tory Hunter web gems and Barry Bonds hitting it into uh, McCovey Cove. Anyway, the Twins and A's had the afternoon game, game five of the ALDS. It was in Oakland. And I remember just like running home from the bus stop and getting home in time to watch the ninth inning. And I think it was Latroy Hawkins, who's actually uh, a mentor to Patrick Mahomes, former, former teammate of Pat Mahomes. I think Latroy Hawkins put them away. And the guys that were on that team that I remember idolizing as a kid that, you know, Dog piled on the mound, you know, Luis Rivas, Jock Jones, Doug Minkavich. Um, and it, I guess, you know, when I sort of fell out of love with baseball and quit paying attention, it didn't dawn on me that the next era of Twins baseball, like your Joe Maurer, Justin Morneau, that they never not only won a playoff series after that, never won a playoff game. Incredible. And, like, I knew we weren't a good baseball franchise making deep runs or thing, but it was kind of one of those things, like, you know, I remember going back to, like, a couple years ago when Rocco Baldelli first got us back to the postseason. I was like, wait, we haven't won in 16 games, and then it turned into 18 games. And so when they won game one, I was like, well, at least we have that embarrassing statistic. Got you know, the off, the back. You know, we've got that off the tax rolls, so to speak. I was like, hopefully we don't choke and we can win this series and, you know, take that step. And sure enough, they did, so. We're just happy to be here, and like I tweeted, we're America's team. I know everybody hates the Astros, Rangers fans especially next week, Twins fans, Rangers fans. Uh, we're all on the same side next week, so um, absolutely, it's fun to be here. We're all Twins fans. Uh, we are live in the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for uh, your next baseball game, you can go to Cardinal Sports Center right outside the loop on Slide Road or – Online, mycardinalsports.com. Go get you some Texas Tech gear. Go get you some gambling gauchos gear. Get you a new hat. It was rainy in Lubbock. It's been rainy in Lubbock. You might need a quarter zip. You can get one at uh, Cardinals, either Texas Tech related or gambling gauchos related. And uh, gear up for everything right there at Cardinals. Mycardinalsports.com or, again, right outside the loop on Slide Road. It is butt week. 
uh, here on the show. I just talked to Cameron Stewart from Locked On Baylor. Of course, we're on the Republic of Football feed with Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Uh, he was nice enough to have me on the show. Lots of butt talk. Um, I, I have a feeling that Baylor fans and Texas Tech fans both feel the same about this week. That, well, Tech's two and three, we have a good opportunity. Well, Baylor's two and three, we have a good opportunity. Uh, who's right, Kyle? Who has a good opportunity this weekend? I think they're both right. And I'll, I'll get into some areas where they're both bad. And in some areas where we're bad, Baylor's kind of mediocre. And some areas where Baylor's really bad, we're kind of mediocre. So I don't know if either team has this like great strength that they can lean on. Maybe Texas Tech's run game. Um, but yeah, I feel like the going back to the West Virginia game, it felt like that was a um, course-setting game for both programs. And of course, West Virginia comes out on top. They parlay that into a 2-0 start in Big 12 play. They're on cloud nine. And then that loss for Texas Tech turned Houston into sort of a must-win. Like you just can't start what would have been one and four, oh and two in conference play to two teams that were thought to be in the bottom half, bottom quarter of the league. Uh now this is like, okay, the winner feels like they're back on course for a bowl game, perhaps, and the loser is two and four with a loss to an in-state um rival of sorts. So I feel like all three games have been very consequential, even though like we're not talking ranked matchups or pathways to the conference championship game. So, yeah, I feel like for a game featuring two, two and three squads, it still feels like it's important for both for the trajectory of both programs. Yeah. And even, even not just the trajectory of this year, it feels important for the trajectory of both programs period, because Dave Aranda, I don't know if he's on the hot seat, but he's at least on the warm seat uh, with their start and losing to Texas state and the recruiting where it is. But Joey, Joey can potentially start one and seven on the road as the Red Raiders head coach. And just getting, we talked about the twins at the open of the show, getting that off the tax rolls, I think is what you said, to kind of overcome that in Big 12 play and win a road Big 12 game. That would be important, I think, on the trajectory of the Texas Tech program as well. Yeah, that is kind of a cloud over the program right now, you know, the, the lone exception being a pretty similar spot last year when you went to Ames. And I think, I think they were four and six at the time. I think you were five and five. And so again, that bowl eligibility, not much later in the season, of course, but that was kind of what was at stake for both teams. And you were, I think two, two and a half point underdog. So pretty close to a toss up. And that's sort of been my one caveat on this discussion on, are you bad on the road? Because last year you're going on the road is more than a touchdown underdog against top 25 teams for the most part. And the lone exception was when you went to Ames and you handled your business. Now this year you've gone on the road twice and been upset when you were a, a pretty decent favorite. Very big, very big favorite against Wyoming and then about six points in Morgantown. So you're back in kind of one of those toss-up spots where, okay, it, you don't have the – I don't want to say excuse, but you don't have the backstop of like, well, hey, we just went on the road in, in Manhattan and lost to the eventual Big 12 champion. You wouldn't feel good about it, or you wouldn't have that kind of silver lining if you lose this game. But if you win it, it's also not like, well, you just did what you're supposed to do because you were favored by 10. You know, it, it's going to feel like a, a win that you have to earn that, you know, is a notch in your belt, so to speak. And hopefully 
kind of sets you up to get rid of that narrative that you can't go on the road and win games like this. We're going to have uh, Baylor expert Sam Bradshaw on tonight during the show today, whenever you're listening to this, I guess it's a podcast form. Uh, during this episode, we'll have Sam Bradshaw from Sikkim 365. We'll get the Baylor perspective. Uh, we're here for the Texas Tech perspective currently. Um, is it as simple as running the damn ball this week, just like it was last week? Because Baylor seemingly is not great against the run. No, they're they're not great at a lot. And I'm not like trying to take too many shots because I know I know what you are at two and three as well. I do think there's probably some truth. The more I've thought on this, that part of why Taj Brooks and to a lesser extent Cameron Valdez have been so successful on a per carry basis is that you're being selective. Like you're not running in obvious scenarios or, you know, overdoing it, running into stacked boxes. It's all about finding the balance because you don't want to be so selective that you refuse to do something you're good at. And I feel like we were certainly leaning that way through about the Oregon game, but you also don't want to overdo it and beat your head against the wall and run into some bad looks. So I'm curious if we can find that balance, if we can still find a roughly 50-50 split, you know, maybe up or down a few percentage points based on game flow and the looks you're getting. But can you stay balanced and run the ball even when they do kind of expect it and when you're intentionally trying to establish a run? Uh, but, yeah, they're, they're 100th or worse, Baylor is nationally, in yards per game allowed, points per game as well as on a per-play basis, so adjusting for tempo. They're 100th or worse in points per play and yards per play. They're they're probably better at defending the run than they are the pass, but that's only because they're absolutely dreadful defending the pass. They're 125th out of 133 in yards per pass play allowed on the defensive side. Now, this is probably inflated because UCF hit a couple of really long pass plays they played Quinn Ewers in Texas. They've had a very explosive pass offense. So they're probably due for some positive regression or, as I like to say, progression. But that's still 125th is bad, even if you're playing good offenses. They're, uh, they're 92nd nationally. Their defense is in forcing interceptions. So not good against the pass, not good overall. But the flip side of that, like, have you been explosive in the pass game this year? Absolutely no. not. No. And no. so is this something you can take advantage of? I don't know. You certainly hope you could. Um, before the season, if you had given me that sentence, I would have said, oh, absolutely. If Baylor's going to be 125th pass yards per play, you'll be able to exploit that when the time comes. Uh, but you're right. You've not been explosive at all. And that goes back to last year where you didn't have a whole lot of explosive plays. And really, the only – two explosive plays you had against Houston. If you want to call the fungi touchdown explosive, it was down the field, but uh, Cameron Valdez's two runs were really the only two explosive. Uh, Xavier white maybe had one that you could call explosive down the field, but it's not like you were thrown all over. Not, not like uh, Houston was to you. Right. Yeah. And I'll uh, probably circle back on this later, but um you know, coming into the season, if you ask me, hey, who's who's the juice on this offense? Who's going to be the electric playmaker? I probably would have said Jerron Bradley, maybe Miles Price, and maybe Dre McCray. Maybe you could argue Dre McCray. He has had some big 
He had a big catch against Oregon. He had the special teams play. Has it translated into him being a huge downfield threat in the past game? Not not yet, but I think he's capable of it still. So that that's something to monitor. And then the other, the last defensive statistic for Baylor that stood out to me, an area that I think you can exploit based on, you know, I've given this some thought as I've reflected on the season. I've hammered us for not having an offensive identity. And I still think for the most part we don't. But a component of our offensive identity has been very consistently aggression on fourth downs. We had the most fourth down attempts a year ago. I don't know where we are this year. It feels like we haven't been in as many spots where we needed to um, or when it was feasible to. So maybe we're lower this year. But Baylor is 114th nationally in fourth down defense. They surrender 85% conversions on fourth down. So I know we talked about this a little bit, that Joey seems to be of the mindset like, well, if I can just get into fourth and manageable, then we're going to go for it on fourth down. And we were like, hey, you're allowed to get the 10 yards on third or second or first down. You don't have to right. get it on the on the last down available. But should we find ourselves in that spot, at least to this point in the season, Baylor has not gotten off the field on fourth down. So that might be an area where we're comfortable. And it certainly has been a an option like you said, in the first two years of Joey McGuire's tenure. Doesn't it feel like year three in some ways? <laughs> Just because he he was here so long recruiting year one and you kind of have the Sonny Cumbie season where he has, you know, the back half of the year. It feels like Joey was in charge, shadow running the team that year. But this is just year two. I, I think that's important to kind of point out in some ways because you kind of had year three expectations this year before the season. And uh, it's only year two. I think you're a year ahead of schedule on those expectations. But um, I wanted to point out, I don't think we did a good enough job talking about the young players who played in the Houston game. I, I wanted to talk about those guys um, because moving into the next four or five games, you're either going to burn a lot of red shirts or find an opportunity to – to get back healthy and not have to play a bunch of these guys because you saw a lot of freshmen, Jordan Sanford, probably not going to be able to red shirt. Uh, Brendan Jordan, probably not going to be able to red shirt the, both those, both those guys are playing a lot. I know rabbit's supposed to be back this week, but he's not going to play every snap. Uh, Mikel Dingle, Mike Dingle, uh, probably not going to, to red shirt at this point, how they're playing. So, you kind of had the the plan to not have to play a bunch of these guys, and then everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, you're going to have to burn a lot of these red shirts to play guys. Um, is that kind of sneaky good for the program? I know you don't want to be too far ahead of yourself here, but with so many seniors leaving next year on defense, isn't it good to get a bunch of playing time for these young guys? Yeah, I think – a lot of people might not be ready to accept that as good news right now at two and three with, you know, a tough toss up kind of road game on the horizon on Saturday. But yeah, I think there will come a point later this year or 2024 when you go, man, I'm glad this is Mike Dingle's 15th career start instead of his fourth or, you know, whatever. Or, you know, I'm glad that Ben Roberts has 85 tackles, to his name going into next year rather than 
sitting behind Jacob Rodriguez all year. Now, of course, he didn't want Jacob Rodriguez to get hurt. And a lot of these guys are playing due to injury circumstances, which you never want to see. But, uh, yeah, I think that was something you were leaning on coming into the years. You have all this veteran experience. You have all these super seniors. And that only works if they're healthy. And, uh, you know, I think it probably wasn't in the cards that they, they didn't want to play guys like Chapman Lewis or Mike Dingle or Ben Roberts, um, maybe even guys like Dylan Spencer this year, as deep as you thought you were going to be at at the edge position. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like it's the hand that you're dealt. And if you want to look for positives, I think that it certainly is one that you're building experience. You didn't think you were going to get to build until next year. Yeah. And I, I think you're going to need it next year. Uh, I was always a little bit worried about next year, obviously still this year and you're playing Baylor this weekend. It's a huge game. We can talk about the importance of it again, but I just, I thought it was really good for those young guys to show up and show out against a Big 12 opponent in Houston. I thought that was really good. I don't know if you can hear in the background the thunder outside my house, but it is incredibly loud. I, I hear it. When I got up a minute ago, I thought it was my dogs growling. I was going to go tell them to shut up, and I realized it's the thunder outside. So, anyway, if you hear that, that's what it is in the background. Um, we have Sam joining us probably in the – next 10 minutes or so. Um, is it cool if I rattle off a few more statistics that I'm looking at? Let's do it. So we just zeroed in on the Baylor defense a little bit. And flip side of that, Texas Tech's offense. I'm happy to report we are now up to 97th nationally in run play rate on offense. We were down at, I think, 114 or something last episode. And you play a game where you run it on 60% of the plays you tend to go up in a category like that. Baylor's opponents run the ball a lot. I think a lot of that is Baylor has trailed for the vast majority of this season. And so their opponents run it on 57% of snaps. Texas Tech runs it on 46% of snaps. That's a pretty significant gap. So I'll be curious in the postgame box score, win or lose, is Texas Tech's run rate closer to that 46 number or is it closer to that 57? And I bet, honestly, if you blindfolded me, as to the final score, and you told me what our run play rate was, I'd be able to guess if we won by a lot, won by a little, you know, close game, or if we lost. Uh, I alluded to this, but if our run game has only been successful on a per-play basis because we're so selective, uh, I don't think this is the game to try to get selective or get overly selective. Um, Baylor hasn't been good at it. They're 109th nationally in yards per rush surrendered. So even if you're not getting like a perfect ideal look, I think you still got to take those body blows, try to run the ball, try to stay balanced. And uh, they're 114th in rush yards per game surrendered. So, I mean, they're very, very bad at defending the run. And as you know, our whole mantra is run the damn ball. So this seems like a good game for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what it also is a good game for? What's that, Rob? Maybe a black plate special at Reunio Barbecue. You want to tell us about Reunio Barbecue? Yeah, you'll have to tell me about what the black plate special is. Um, I am going to Waco. Going to meet up with some friends from both Austin and Dallas-Fort Worth when we're there. But if you're watching from home, I would recommend going to get Reunio Barbecue. Now we got a night game, so you got to put it in the fridge if you want to eat it for dinner. But they'll be out there in Olton all day, uh, Thursday through Saturday. And then the Reunio Market is open seven days a week. Check them out at Rahino BBQ on social media, RahinoBBQ.com. Order ahead. Uh, we did get, we had a friend who drove down last weekend to Lubbock from Denver 
And he said he got to Ulton like right in time because right after he got in line, there was 100 people behind him. So if you want to make sure they're not out of whatever you want to eat specifically, order ahead online at rehinobbq.com. It is the quintessential game day meal. They've been having a chicken fried steak special. I need to try the chicken fried. They also had a peachy pig. I know you're not a big pulled pork guy. They had the peachy pig baked potato on the menu today uh, as their special. But it's not always that you can go to a barbecue place and spend 50 bucks on yourself. Uh, but at Rahino, you get some specials and, you know, a, a half chicken or whatever else that uh, is a little bit cheaper and, and or a sandwich. You don't have to break the bank at Rahino. You know, the best pulled pork sandwich I ever ate was actually prepared by a guy with a tattoo of Ron Swanson on his rear end. And of course, that ain't no line. That's that's a true story right there. Um, hang on. I just got a text message. It might be important. Oh, no, never mind. It's not important. Yeah, I got it too. <laughs> I saw Ross Dellinger and I was like, do we yeah. have like big 12 real line here? What's going on? Um, okay. Let's talk Baylor's offense for a little bit. And before I get into this, we can add the caveat that Blake shape and their starting quarterback was hurt in, I think about the third quarter of their season opener against Texas state missed the next three and a half games until the UCF game last weekend where he played all four quarters. So if you believe that he is a huge upgrade at quarterback, which I do, based on what they had in his absence, uh, these numbers are probably deflated based on him missing most of their games. But they are 87th or worse nationally in points per game, points per play, fourth down conversions, and red zone scoring. They're actually – like mediocre to slightly above average in yards per play and yards per game. Uh, they just can't finish drives. Like they're, if you looked at their box score, you'd say, okay, yeah, we threw it. Okay. We ran it. Okay. But it's not translating to points. Um, our Texas Tech's defense is actually decent in yards per play surrendered. I think we're top half in the country, maybe 50 something. I forgot to write it down, but we're really bad at getting off the field on third and fourth down. And I think, we remember that in Laramie. We remember that in Morgantown. Um, and in the first half against Houston, for sure. I mean, they got every – I think they were they started something like seven for eight on third down, which is – that's tough to – tough to win against. Uh, we're also really bad in the red zone. And they're bad at finishing in the red zone. So that's one of those areas I'm like, okay, we're both really bad at that. Something's got to give. They actually run the ball less than you do. And again, I think this is mostly a matter of game script, game flow. They've been trailing for, besides their game against an FCS opponent, like even Texas State, they were losing wire to wire. And so I think they've been playing catch up and that's inflated their pass share. But in an ideal world, I think certainly Jeff Grimes offense wants to run it more than they throw it. And then of course, last weekend against UCF, they come back from down 35 to seven. So they're probably throwing it on every play more or less at that point. Uh, but, yeah, they're they're 110th nationally right now in run play rate on offense. They're bad at running the ball. They're 106th nationally in yards per carry and 101st nationally in rush yards per game. Some might recall that I put their running back on fraud alert watch. We never got all the way to fraud alert because I was like, hey, they're, they have nothing coming back on the offensive line. They got two portal guys from BYU. The other three have never played a snap of college football. And that that seems to be a real issue for them. They're 
I don't think they're great in pass protection. They're not getting the push in their run game that that 2021 Baylor team that won the Big 12 had. So that was always, in my opinion, a huge undertaking to to restock that position group. And they're struggling so far. Maybe they're improving as the season goes on. Uh, and our, our run defense is middle of the pack. So I don't know if that's like a huge mismatch. I don't think that that's some great strength of yours. But hopefully if they're that bad at it and you can maintain, you know, staying in position, making tackles, hopefully this could be a, an area, a matchup that you can win, your run defense versus their run offense. You keep going through these stats, and every time you give a Baylor stat, I'm, I'm like, okay, so why not Texas Tech by two touchdowns? And then you give a follow-up stat, and it's like, okay, yo, that's probably why. Yeah. Now, I will say they're, they're, again, an area where they're kind of like you, their running back rush totals aren't terrible. Like Richard Reese and Dominic Richardson have had pretty good averages most of their games. I think Texas had them really bottled up. But besides that, they're – the running backs are doing pretty well, uh, but giving up a lot of sacks and Shapin not being a very good runner, Sawyer Robertson not being a very good runner has kind of deflated their overall rushing numbers. So I think that's a fair distinction to make. It's one I've made for Tech when, you know, Shuck averages three and a half yards per carry in the same game where Taj averages six. You know, my whole gripe has been, well, we should be handing the ball off more. So I, th- I think like a worst case scenario is this is a get right game for Baylor where they're able to run it more than they have all season. They're effective at it. They can be selective in the past game. I think that's kind of their recipe for success. They just haven't really been able to execute that uh, so far this season. Go ahead. Just something else. Uh, no, not for now. I was going to say, going through the stats, going through the uh, the numbers. Is there a, is there a place you think Texas Tech can gouge Baylor? Is it just as simple as running Taj? Do you think Taj can have a good game? I think that's a big part of it, and I think this is a perfect game for somebody to step up and show that they're the explosiveness we've been waiting for on this offense. Is it Cam Valdez? Well, you, you probably don't give him enough touches to find out. Um, is it downfield passing? Like, we haven't been great at that. Is it a guy like Miles Price or Dre McCray who's going to get a bunch of yaks? Maybe. Get some hail going on now? Yeah, can you hear that? Yeah. I'm going to go check it out real quick. I'm going to see how big right. this is because my truck is outside. Okay. I'll be right back. <laughs> all right. This is great radio. Yeah, that's all right. We can, uh, we can cut this clip it in the audio. He muted it so you can't hear the hail anymore, but that was beaten down. I could hear the truck bouncing. Uh, you know what? While he's gone, well, I don't know if we can do that right now. What were we talking about? I was talking about the butt bowl a little bit. A uh, big fan of the butt bowl. I was on with Cameron Stewart of uh, Locked On Baylor, as we said before. Um, I I want to keep playing these Texas schools. I I am upset this year that you're not playing Oklahoma State, partly because. Uh, it's frustrating that you're not playing them because they suck. It is frustrating in that sense. But it's also frustrating because Oklahoma State is one of those teams that you want to have a rivalry with. Uh, moving forward, I would like to play Oklahoma State. You, you call them protected rivalries. I would like to play Oklahoma State as often as possible. I, I, I also want to play Baylor and TCU as often as possible. If not every year, which it should be, then it has to be every other year. If it's not every year, it should be. 
It should be every year. I think if if Oklahoma State is on the board, I would like to play them every year. I think Texas Tech has to play Baylor and TCU every year. I, I think it's really important for the program. I think it's really important for recruiting. I think you need to be playing Texas schools. You need to have options. Uh, Waco is really easy to get to. If you're in the DFW, it's really easy to get to if you're in the Austin area. So you can say, hey, we can play in Waco every other year and you can come down. How's your truck? It's probably getting destroyed out there. Uh, it's like nickel to quarter size right now, but I feel like it gets bigger throughout a hailstorm before it recedes. So usually I think quarter size is kind of like the threshold where you start to see some damage. I was talking about uh, how important it is to play Baylor. I, I, I am regretful that you're not playing Oklahoma State but I'm glad you're playing Baylor and TCU and I want to play them every year because I think it's important for recruiting and just the overall state of the program. Yeah. And you know, I like history. I don't think most people care as much as I do, but Baylor is a program you've played more times than any other program in college football. Um, I'm sure between the Southwest conference and the big 12 South and them remaining on the schedule this year, you've played them every year since at least probably 1960 ish. Now, I do want Oklahoma State to be in your rotation of annual rivalries, protected rivalries, whatever we call that, whether that's in a pod. But, uh, yeah, having the in-state team that you have played more than anybody else, I, I do think is – and they probably don't view it quite the same way because they've got TCU as like their arch rival, and they've played TCU more than they've played Tech. But I, I think it's an important game. I agree with you there. If you could only have two, who would they be that you played every year? Uh, Baylor would be one of them, huh? That'd be tough. It, it it would definitely not be Houston. It if we if you had four, I think Houston would be the fourth with uh, Baylor, TCU, and Oklahoma State. But among those three, it's hard for me to. I, I really want to say TCU right now because I feel like that's that has budded into more of a rivalry. But also like with the Joey and Baylor stuff, that feels like a bit of a rivalry. Um, but Oklahoma State is kind of like the other team in the Big Twelve that doesn't have a natural arch rival to reciprocate. So I feel like you could grow into that. So I don't know, man, I would, I would really struggle narrowing it down to two among those three. I kind of view them all roughly equally. I might lean TCU Baylor instead of Oklahoma state. I, I, I know you need Oklahoma state and, and that's a, as you said, a rivalry that should grow. Um, I don't know that it will, but it should. It feels like you've been more heated with West Virginia, but that's not a natural rival either. You, you really you really need to make that work. You need to make the Dust Bowl work. Yeah, and, and in the new Big 12, there are a lot of natural pairings, like Arizona-Arizona State, BYU-Utah, Kansas-Kansas State, a couple that you might have to sort of force. So I think Cincinnati-West Virginia is pretty natural. They're the two closest and have some Big East. Two that you might have to kind of force, Houston-UCF. Like, that's not in-state, but they were in the American together. Space race. Space race. They were in Conference USA together. I, I think travel from Houston, Orlando is not terrible. And then another one that you might have to kind of force a little bit, Iowa State, Colorado, Big 8, Big 12 North. And then if that would leave, of course, TCU, Baylor, and then Oklahoma State Tech. And so I feel like that if they organize anything in such a way with it beyond just the pod, like the pairings, like I'm getting a little bit off course here, but if we go to 20 conference basketball games as your mark floated earlier this week and you only get like one team that's home and home every year and then like you play everybody else 
one, so that would be 17 games. So I guess you'd have more home and homes than just the one. But um, anyway, all that to say, I think maybe they're Oklahoma State is in the same spot as you. Like their big in-state rivalry left, and they're kind of looking for a dancing partner. TCU and Baylor are always going to hate each other more than they hate you, and so I feel like Oklahoma State is the natural one that you can actually reciprocate the same amount of hate that they give to you. Would you be offended if they went Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Tech, Colorado? I wouldn't be offended, but I would just be like, there's no, there's no juice between Tech and Colorado. Like they played, I don't know what six times. Yeah, maybe going back to the Big Twelve because Colorado was only in it with us for 15 years, and with the division rotation, you didn't. You only played him half the time in that 15 years. Um, it, it would be super fun when Prime was there. Yeah. Um, but, no, I think long-term, like – and even Oklahoma State, you were in the Big 12 South with them for a long time. Like, you've played them each of the last 25-plus years. Um, but even before that, when they were Big 8 and you were Southwest, you played them a ton. So, I think by now you've got 40-something matchups with them, maybe 50-ish. So, that there's some history and – and tradition there and you know a lot of kids in the panhandle a lot of kids in dfw are kind of deciding between oklahoma state and tech in a lot of ways um maybe among other schools but yeah i think that's a i think that would i wouldn't be offended if it was colorado but it just wouldn't make much sense to me 50 exactly games between them you're 23 okay. 24 and 3 yeah 50 exactly. All right. Sam Bradshaw should be joining any second now. Um, any kind of final thoughts on the Texas Tech Baylor game uh, from an analytical perspective before we get into Sam? Yeah, a couple other miscellaneous stats. Uh, we give up 25 yards more per game in penalty yardage than Baylor does. And sometimes penalty yardage, penalty yardage is not necessarily the total amount, but the spots where you get them. Like, Jerome Bradley's false start in the first half against Houston had no impact on the game whatsoever. But your defensive holdings on third down in Morgantown might have made the difference between a win or a loss, or at least getting to overtime. So that's got to be cleaned up. 25 yards is a big difference, in my opinion, especially if those are like two or three separate penalties at key spots. And we only had one against Houston, so hopefully you're improving there. Baylor is 33rd nationally in time of possession. Tech is 125th. Now, I realize – it's not our goal or our aim on offense to um, hog the ball and eat up time of possession. But I think that some of Joey's comments sounds like he's coming around on having longer drives and staying on the field, having an eye toward instead of just going as fast as you can doing things like flipping the field position, giving your defense a breather. So um, again, if Baylor's playing the kind of game that plays into their hands, I think they're running the ball better than they have most of the season. They're not having to throw it as much. And what goes along with running the ball successfully is eating up clock and maintaining time of possession. So I think a lot of these are kind of related and intertwined. We'll give a score prediction later, but don't you feel like this game could go six different ways? Yes. It could be a 17 to 13 game. It could be 48 to 39. It could be, it could be an old school big 12 shoot them out 56, 56, just because both defenses sometimes struggle um, of all the scenarios. What do you think will happen most likely? I'll save, I'll save it for my final thoughts and my pick and my score prediction, but tell me this, like this isn't crazy 
to think that Baylor could play their best game of the season. They've yeah. shaped back. Uh, he's shaked the rust off against UCF. The momentum of coming back from down 28. Like, they're totally on course to play their best game of the season on Saturday, right? Oh, yeah. But wouldn't you argue Texas Tech is too? Yeah. You, you say the exact same thing. Say, okay, different quarterback. The offense looks a little bit better. They're figuring out their run-pass balance. They just won a Big 12 game by 21 points after coming out of the gates one and three. Like, I could make that argument very easily for both teams that they're both primed to play their best game of the season on Saturday. And that could that could unfold where they both do it in the same game, and obviously one team still has to lose. So I don't know what that looks like. I could also see either team laying a dud or laying an egg because they've both played several bad games throughout the season against lesser competition. So um, – and anything in between wouldn't surprise me. Like they could play with their best game of the season. You could lay another egg and they beat you by 24 and vice versa. Like maybe after 60 minutes of us, we're like, what road struggles? Like we just pounded a in-conference in-state team into the dust. I'm not saying that will happen, but like I could, for a, for a game that the spread is like tech minus one, some places Baylor minus one, some places I have no idea how it's going to turn out. And I could see either team, blowing out the other if, if the game goes a certain way. Yeah. Uh, all right. As we uh, await Sam Bradshaw, do you want to talk about the Big 12 schedule a little bit in uh, basketball and then get back into the Baylor game? Sure. Um, going off memory here, your Big 12 opener is in Austin, right? Well, I was talking about the uh, the, the future schedule, but we can pull that one up too. What future schedule? The potential to play 20 conference basketball games. Somebody was asking. Oh, yeah. That. Not in the mailbag, but uh, in the in the. I, I'm all for it. I think that gives every team in your conference a greater strength of schedule than they would be able to achieve with a, an 18-game conference schedule. Um, I mean, you could go in a 20-game. There have been 7-11 and 11 teams with a 7-11 conference record in the old Big 12 that made the NCAA tournament as like a last four in kind of team. I think you could easily go eight and 12 in a 20 team format and make it if you're net ranking and all that, and you have enough quad wins. And so you are like, Texas has had a pretty good basketball program. Um, You're taking on some teams like UCF and Utah that aren't going to be quad one games unless they kind of change their program trajectory, but that's okay too. Like it's okay to have, a little bit of reprieve during what is otherwise just a three month meat grinder of a schedule. Like it's okay to play one or two quad three games in conference play. Right. It's not going to kill anybody, but yeah, like if you're, if you're at 16 teams playing a 20 game conference schedule, I could totally see you going eight and 12. If that's like the 11th place team in the conference, I could see them getting into the, Oh yeah. Like we've always, with, with these bigger conferences, like a 14-team Big Ten, it's always like, okay, are they going to be a nine-bid league, a 10-bid league? With 16, I think you could be, if the cards fall exactly right, you could be a 9-10, 11-bid league, which is crazy. Yeah, but that's the way that's the way it is in the current Big 12. Like 10th place or 9th place most years is probably not a terrible basketball team. Like it's a basketball team that if you made them the 11th seed in the NCAA tournament, they're probably kind of a tough out and causing problems. They just don't have the resume to get in. So, yeah, there might be some cellar dwellers. But even then, if if teams 13 through 16 are cellar dwellers, I think team 10, 11 is still like a totally legit NCAA tournament contender, especially if you're playing 20 conference games. 
Yeah, I, I could easily see this conference being 12, 12 deep. And maybe not 12 in the tournament, but 12 strong, uh, 12 strong games. And then you get a couple of teams that aren't as good. But even the teams that haven't looked good in Big 12 play, like take uh, Iowa State who went to the Sweet 16. They started like, what, 3-11 and 11 or something in Big 12 play, finished strong, and then got to the tournament because of their strong finish and got to the Sweet 16 just because the Big 12 is harder than everywhere else. Yeah, like – and. So from the business side of this, there's always been this whisper of the Big 12 taking the basketball media rights deal separate from football in six or seven years whenever your next deal is up. Let's do some quick math. Right now you have 10 teams, and they play 18 conference games, right? That's 180 conference games, but that counts both teams playing, so we're going to divide that by two. That's 90 Big 12 games that you can sell to the TV networks plus your conference tournament and all that. With 16 teams playing 20 conference games divided by two, that's 160 games of inventory. And so, and, and good inventory, like Kansas, Arizona, Baylor, Texas Tech. Um, I, I think that, and, and just like all your existing, when they're up, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, like these are all teams that, this century of like final four runs, uh, elite eight runs at, at minimum. You're going to have East Coast, Central Time Zone, Mountain Time Zone. Um, still trying to figure out how Arizona works. I don't know if you have Pacific Time Zone, but that's a ton of inventory to sell to the TV networks. Like, I don't know how much the 10 team Big 12 with what do we say, 90 games of inventory, 80 games of inventory, whatever it was, what that would go for on the open market. It's just the sheer volume going up to 160 games of inventory, I think, could be incredibly valuable. And I think maybe more conferences are going to start thinking that way. It's massive. And look, you, you have a, a good enough inventory right now to take it and split. You, you have, with Arizona and Arizona State and Colorado, man and Kansas and Iowa State and Kansas State and these basketball programs, Baylor, West Virginia, West Virginia, like you, you have some legit, legit top to bottom access here. Oh, and Houston, like I forgot about them, but they, they just went to a final four two years ago. They were a one seed this past season. Like it's crazy. And so from the, from the business, I, I feel like that's what I'm viewing everything on basketball for the next six or seven years. It's like, what is this going to look like when we get to, if you have 160 games of inventory, that it's going to be worth something. Like I know that pound for pound, it's not as valuable as football. And everyone has always said that, that football is 90% or 95% of the like, okay, but that's when that's before we like nearly doubled our basketball inventory that's available to the networks. And before we got into three, maybe four time zones. So I, I love exploring that as an option. And I think it, it it'll benefit the teams on the court and, their odds to make the NCAA tournament, and it should also benefit you from a TV media rights business standpoint as well. And the SEC tries to say they're deep in basketball. The ACC probably could say that a year or two, but the Big Twelve is going to be legit deep. All right. Well, and yeah, you know, I know we're about to bring on Sam, but and he knows all about this. Can the ACC tip off at ten thirty Eastern time? It's true. That's true. Uh, to BYU, talk BYU numbers, TV times. And everything else, Sam Bradshaw, 
the uh, the legend from Sikkim 365. Sam, how you doing, man? Not bad, but thanks for having me on, guys. <laughs> Absolutely. It's uh, the Butt Bowl week. I don't know how you feel about the nickname, but uh, it's a good rivalry. It's a longstanding rivalry in college football. Um, kind of what are your broad thoughts on Baylor as a team this year and maybe where Dave Aranda is on his uh, seat warmth? Yeah, um, and, you know, Personally, there's a lot of injuries that are going into things that will certainly impact things. I mean, you're going into a season where, you know, you had three quarters with Blake Shaven prior to this past week. And then your backup plays a half against Utah before he has a bad ankle. So you've got that. You've got your top two nose tackles not playing and your backup at each DN spot not playing effectively all year. Um, you've lost one of your top linebackers for the year. You were without one of your best safeties for a good stretch. So there's certainly a lot of built-in excuses, but, um, honestly, a lot of the fan base is very frustrated. They, they understand that injuries happen, but why is the roster in this position barely a year and a half after a top five finish in a big 12 title, you know? Um, and there's a fair amount of understanding that with Matt rule, campaigning for NFL jobs his final year at Baylor as opposed to uh, hitting the recruiting trail as hard as he otherwise would basically betting it on himself. If he's still at Baylor, that he's going to be able to close the deal with some higher level guys. Um, But when he heads on, that leaves a gap. So, you know, there, there's a certain understanding that that took place, but there's also the understanding that Dion just brought 80 dudes to Colorado to fill gaps why are we playing a 6'3", 270-pound dude who plays with great technique and great heart at nose tackle in a system that demands you to body an offensive lineman and play on both sides? You know, that that creates a lot of frustration with the fan base. And then you have Utah dead to rights. And then you have a, you give up a drive where 10 men are on the field for two critical completions And even when you have all 11 on the field, you're giving up the slant route like it's going out of business because guys are simply not in a position to deny it. And I understand it could be a guy not getting a check for whatever coverage it's called, or it could be any number of things that come with playing the youth that those roster issues force on you. But it's honestly been a very difficult situation for Aranda. I imagine he's feeling the heat. You could kind of hear it at the end of the third quarter of the Texas game when they interviewed him on the sideline. You, you can kind of hear the guy was pretty torn up. But, you know, it's it's something where there's certain if, – if he can win enough to stick around long-term, I think he would be able to turn it and get the roster into a spot where they would be competing for titles again. It's just a question of is there going to be enough patience and is the win-loss record this year going to get them there? Because depending on how healthy you think they are and how well they execute going down the stretch, you could make an argument that they could win win enough to keep them around. But you could also see it go dramatically the other way. It really does kind of hang in the balance, in my opinion. Obviously, that's not coming from any inside information, but that's just my personal opinion. And then also just trying to summarize the thoughts that I see from a lot of Baylor fans who – I've made some frustrations known. <laughs> so the honeymoon phase is over with the head coach. A loss in week one to a group of five program. An injury to the starting quarterback. An injury to the starting linebacker. A close call at home against a ranked Pac-12 team. And then a loss in the first Big 12 game of the season. A win in the second Big 12 game of the season. 
It sounds like you guys have lived this or something. Yeah, yeah. So Texas Tech fans are like, yeah, that, he's recapping our season. And Baylor fans, it's it's almost crazy how much it's mirrored each other to this point. And right. now they're on a collision course for Saturday. And so we were talking before you joined us that even though it's two, two and three squads, it still feels like a meaningful game because the loser feels like, okay, we're in full rebuild mode. Um, maybe it's time to look at roster changes, staff changes, and the winner feels like, okay, we're back on track for potentially a bowl game. So I, I'm very curious kind of your thoughts on on this sentiment that I saw from a lot of Baylor fans. They, during the one and three start, it seemed to be that a lot of Baylor fans are saying, you know, we're not seeing the energy, the juice, the flair, whatever you want to call it from Miranda. That it was kind of like there's no spark to – there's nobody kind of up in arms that things are going wrong and trying really hard to correct it. And that's, of course, just not Aranda's personality, but they were like, we need a coordinator, an assistant, a team captain, somebody else to step up and fill that kind of vocal leadership role. Um, Rob and I joked with each other, that guy used to be on staff at Baylor, and now he's (laughs) our head coach. Um, But I saw a clip from y'all's locker room on uh, y'all's kind of version of ESPN Plus, but for for Baylor, uh, I think it was Jeff Grimes, and he was saying something like, Hey, those guys wish the game was over right now. They wish they could kneel it out and the score on the scoreboard is final, but that's not going to happen. Like we're going to go out and bring it to them in the second half. And it seemed to me like the exact type of moment and message needed uh, for Baylor at that point in time. Of course, they complete the amazing comeback um, and probably carrying some of that momentum into the game on Saturday. Do you feel the same way that like they kind of figured something out in the second half and they're back on course? Or do you feel like there's still some deeper seated issues? Um, as far as issues, that's something that you gotta be in the locker room to really know, um, from the outside looking in, you can look and just try and gauge the temperature. But at the same time, you know, a lot of the people saying, well, there's no fire. There's no, there's no, there's no, this, there's no, that the concept of the guys getting riled up by what Grimes said or anything like that, they'd be like, Oh, that doesn't happen. You know, it's fans. They're going to stick to the narrative that makes the most sense to them in the moment you know that's that's the way it goes i mean people take the information they have which as fans tends to be pretty limited information if we're being honest and they run with it um as far as the energy standpoint you know you've had some games where you came out flat you know people understand that utah is a great team and you came out and you actually did pretty well early there then you follow it up the following week and you play Long Island, who's now trying at football, apparently, and struggle to look like you really want to be there through the entire game. And it was not an inspiring performance. So there's a lot of frustration from that. There's a lot of frustration from getting down early to Texas State. And I understand they brought in 50 dudes and G.J. Kenny's offense absolutely tore the FCS apart last year. It was one of the most fun ones I was able to break down for the site because a lot of what I do for the site is previewing who you play and the X's and O's and the stats that they have. And that was one of the more fun ones because it's a good blend of what Bryles did and uh, Gus Malzahn, who Kenny was uh, basically a disciple of. Um, But, you know, spending a quarter and a half to try and get your offensive line keys down to, so you don't get your quarterback killed and so you can get your running game on track. Prior to doing that, they were getting minimal yards per drive. After that, it was half the field per drive. It wasn't enough to win the game, but clearly it wasn't, oh, wow, these guys are supermen. It's you weren't handling your business. 
you know, so there's a lot of frustration for the fan base on that side. Um, you know, it, it's been a very frustrating year and I'd probably say frustrating year and a half because for, for Baylor fans, you started off really, you know, you had the great year in 2021 and while you had a disappointing loss at BYU where some key guys got injured in the game and you lost in overtime and you barely lost to Oklahoma state when they had some special teams plays really pull it out from you. And that was a decent to solid Oklahoma state team with Spencer Sanders still there. Um, you go in after beating Tech last year in dramatically surprising fashion and then going on the road to Norman and winning there with Squirrel Williams sliding on like the four-yard line just to run out the clock to a stunned um, Owen Field. Um, you go into the last three, four weeks of the season, you are one of four teams that if you, you control your destiny on a Big 12 title, then you – do not show up whatsoever against Kansas State. Then you let TCU come back on you when you have the chance to ruin their season the way they did yours the year before. Then you let Texas come back on you. Then in the coldest bowl game in history that somehow was played in Fort Worth the year that TCU is in the title game, uh, you don't show up against Air Force. Then Texas State happens. Then the drive from hell against Utah happens. Then Long Island happens. So it's not a three game. Oh, everybody's up in arms. It's more of a eight game or seven game or however many it is. That's where the fan base is really kind of coming from. It's you were up here. How are we here right now? You know, and while we don't doubt that Aranda is a great tactician, he really is. I mean, he's, he's the only dude at the college level that absolutely shut down Colin Kaepernick's pistol that final year they had absolutely ruined their year. And he did it with Hawaii defensive talent, which should just not happen. Um, you know, the guy's a brilliant tactician, even before he got to Wisconsin or LSU. And Grimes, what he did at BYU is outstanding. You don't, you don't doubt these are good coaches. You don't doubt that they have an idea of what's going on and how to fix it. But how are you here? And how did you mismanage the portal and roster management to get you here? I want to go on record real quick. Uh, before your next question, Rob, y'all got screwed against Utah. That was absolutely <laughs> pass interference. I don't know how they didn't call that. Pac-12 refs. Ask Oklahoma about that, about a certain <laughs> trip to Oregon. <laughs> hey, we, we might have some of them in the Big 12 next year. I don't know how they're going to switch that up when that conference no longer exists, but uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Pac-12 refs sending their resumes out unless the Pac-2 can somehow uh, win in court. So we'll just see how that goes. <laughs> that would be something. Uh, court battle to uh, keep the Pac-12 refs. You know, that's what we all signed on to be college football fans for. You know, flight tracking, court yeah. hearings, you know, that, that's exactly what everyone's looking for. Television contracts, right? Yeah, numbers. Uh, let me ask you this. Through all the noise, because it's kind of been a negative uh, interview so far with the Baylor <laughs> uh, what is what is Baylor good at? What, what are they, they going to be good at this Saturday? Well, what with Shapen in there, the passing game has taken a step forward since last year. You not only have the Arkansas transfer Jackson at receiver, but you've effectively replaced Ben Sims at tight end with the North Texas transfer. So you're very similar there, but you've got a healthy Monterey Baldwin, which helps. And Shapen has taken a step forward in his progression. I mean, some of the plays he was making against Texas State were plays he would never have made last year. And that's even with protection. And uh, against Texas State, um, protection was non-existent, and the guy was still dealing. Um, 
So there's definitely a lot better passing game than it was last year. And while they're not quite as capable on the offensive line from a personnel standpoint, um, they've got a couple weak links the way they didn't last year. They're still very capable of doing the wide zone. They're still very capable of doing some of the adjustments to it. And it's going to be very much a very similar scheme, but the passing game's a step forward and how you have to play the run as a result of that's a little better defensively. Um, they're probably a step worse than they were last year. You don't, you don't have quite the same kind of level cover guys and Siaki Aika is not walking through the door. Neither are the two backup nose tackles behind him and uh, a couple other guys, but uh, you know, it, it's an interesting group that's going to be really interesting to see how they develop going down the stretch because there are rumors that they were supposed to have their top two nose tackles back last week. So they might be back this week, which would dramatically change the game plan going against tack, particularly since they played so few guys in the box against the red Raiders last year as their scheme. You know, I, I don't know how well that would work without those two back. If those are back all of a sudden that's available to you. And that could be a dramatic impact for the game. What about any potential weaknesses uh, that Texas Tech might be able to exploit? <laughs> if you can isolate the safeties or the nickels in coverage, that's been a major weak point. Um, early in the season uh, against Texas State, you had a somewhat Bryles slash Melzon style scheme from uh, Texas State. And they had a Washington State transfer who was a really good route runner lining up in the slot. And they would do slot fade right at those safeties and right at those nickels over and over again. Anytime that Baylor would load the box and single up. So that's one area. Uh, Baylor hasn't fit counter all that effectively. Well, at times this year, I imagine tech is going to give that a test on a frequent basis. Um, and then some of the sweep series and wide receiver sweeps and quarterback sweeps that Long Island got their only reasonable offense from is another thing that I expect people to do. Um, they did a good job clamping down on some stuff that hit on a lot of those weaknesses against UCF in the second half. Cause UCF in that game, they had a good drive early, but other than that, most of their offense was two explosive plays. They had a switch route among the slot receivers where you had three over two with the nickel with the linebacker and one of the safeties and the nickel just let the switch route run by him. And then they gave up the edge on a sweep and it was either the nickel or the safety who didn't clamp down. That's like 130 yards right there and two touchdowns. But after that, I think after that, plus the one quality drive they had early in the game, you're talking like seven offensive points from then on. So it really was boom or bust on UCF side, whereas Baylor was methodically moving the ball most of the game. They just weren't cashing in early and they were able to cash in late. Um, now, both teams obviously had a uh, fumble return for a touchdown for over half the field, which dramatically impacts things. But I tend to view that as offsetting when both of them have it. Uh, and if anything, Baylor was more in field goal range than UCF was. So <laughs> point swings is probably favoring UCF at that point. So on Baylor's coverage of the slot position, you know, Texas Tech gives several different looks. We'll go empty with five wide receivers. We'll also run two tight ends. Um, I'm sure you know this from your scouting but we do have a six foot nine 270 pound tight end named mason tharp yeah um he's a mismatch for just about anybody just anybody of that size would be do you think you'll have a nickel corner or safety trying to cover him or a linebacker try to cover him like do you think that's a matchup that might be one to watch 
I think they'll probably treat them similar to how they did last year if they can hold up in the front to do it. Because um, last year, what they would do is they'd use their front four or front three to really allow them to play a minimum number of linebackers in the box so that they could devote guys to coverage and make Baron Morton earn it down the field or whoever else was in there. Because uh, all three quarterbacks ended up coughing it up during that process. Um, and it, it worked out really well for them. Obviously, you don't have Siaki Aika. You don't have the backups at the DN spots you really, how well is that strategy going to work? You know, so how they're going to cover Mason Tharp really, for me, it's more derivative of can you hold up in the run against those gap schemes, against potential quarterback run, and against those RPOs. Can you hold up against that in a way that allows you to give them help? Or is it something where you're going to have to isolate them? And if you're going to have to isolate them, you know, um, that's going to be, there's going to be some mismatches there. So, you know, I could see it being very similar to last year, or I could see it being a lot more boomer bust the way the Texas Tech's defense plays a lot of man and is willing to risk the big play in order to be more aggressive with it. You know, um, it really depends on how is that front going to hold up and who do you have available? Um, you talked about defensively some injuries, some new injuries, but guys coming back. Um, I guess injury report you've, you've mentioned already in the, the interview, but is there like, I'm trying to think how to say this because Texas tech has dealt with injuries too. Yeah. Uh, it, is it going to affect the game plan, the beyond the defensive tackles, the injuries? Those are the ones that I think are the biggest game plan dependent ones. And to be fair, the safety that I mentioned earlier is back and the Jack linebackers that were out early are back, you know? So a lot of the defensive injuries with the exception of Mike Smith, who was a transfer in at linebacker, who's now out for the season. Um, he's gone. Uh, but uh, apart from that, it shouldn't be a major schematic issue other than the D tackles uh, because they afford you something that you otherwise wouldn't have that allows you to take pressure off of what has been a potential vulnerability so far. Um but yeah, that's kind of where it stands on the defensive side. But one injury to take note of is uh, the deep snapper apparently injured his ACL or his knee in some capacity during last week against UCF, which actually came to be pretty important down the stretch as they were kicking field goals. <laughs> yeah. I was it a freshman coming in who'd never done it. Uh, I'm, Honestly, I'm not up on that one detail, but it was something along those lines for sure. It was, it was definitely not the uh, seasoned vet coming in. Yeah. Well, yes. and Texas Tech blocked a punt last weekend against Houston. Um, to my eye, I'm certainly not any kind of special teams ace, but looked like they had sort of an Aussie-style punter with a really slow release. And I guess we saw something and we got there in time. And it's one of those elements of the game fans don't think about, but uh, – a tenth or two tenths of a second on the snap, getting 15, 16 yards back to the punter can make all the difference. So maybe that is something to watch. Yeah. And props to Loic on your team, the receiver you guys have. Not only did he block it, he ran it in, and he also caught a touchdown pass. So uh, definitely deserving of his props this week. <laughs> yeah. he. Uh, that's his second game with a special teams touchdown. He had an onside kick recovery until Miss that he ran right past him in the bowl game. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's he's making plays on special teams. Well, uh, great thoughts on Baylor. I think you've added a lot of insight to our, our preview episode here. Uh, we we are a uh, 
sports gambling adjacent podcast. I know you mentioned that you might not be super sharp on the picks. You'll fit in very well here. <laughs> um, so if you have a few more minutes, we'll go around the horn in the Big 12 and just pick every game against the spread. Yeah. One thought on the game before we move on to that, though. Okay. Um, Baylor's offense, as I mentioned before, they're based on the wide zone. They have some complementary plays to it. Tech actually did a pretty good job limiting the wide zone last year when they got in the tight front where you have somebody head up on the center or in the shade off the center, but you have the two four-eye techniques on the inside shoulder of the tackle. When they were in that alignment, those two four-eye guys, on the backside, they were really able to limit the cutback because they could get off the ball quicker typically then the backside tackle could potentially cut them off or they would occupy the line to the, to the level that one of those linebackers would scrape over clean. When, when you had that kind of look, you're talking like 2.6 per carry at that point. But the problem is when they weren't in that alignment, Baylor was able to run pretty effectively with the wide zone for pretty big yards per carry, but it was very rare that it happened. But you guys uh, with that kind of tight alignment, you guys gave up around nine yards per carry off of a complimentary play because those guys that were in four eye, they'd have the tight end pinned down on them. And then the tackle and the guard would pull out onto the outside and that little toss play because the wide zones intending to go opposite where the backs lined up. But if they pitch it out to the back on the side that he's lined up to, and you can get the position blocks based on alignment, that's going to be an interesting aspect of this game to watch. How does Tech adjust to that? Because their other alignments didn't really work effectively to limit it. And they've got very similar personnel to what they had last year. What do they do to compensate for it? Do they go with tight and then do something in the secondary that Shapin's going to have to counteract? Or is it something where they go with a completely different front entirely? You know, because it was so much of a Jekyll and Hyde run game last year based off what alignment are they in? And was Baylor trying to go with their bread and butter or were they going with their changeup? You know? And yeah. that, that that stuck out to me on film. Yeah, that toss play was frustrating. I think y'all converted like a third and seven plus on that. And it, that was kind of like one of those moments you're like, yeah, we're not going to we're not going to be able to get off the field. And like the box score wasn't anything crazy. I think it was Baylor averaging four point something yards per carry um, on that toss play. Yeah, I charted about nine for 77 yards. Yeah, I remember those. But uh, we could not defend it. On the standard wide zone, you had 26 for 82. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's very different, you know. So, something to watch for. Uh, I don't, I didn't watch last year's game um, ahead of this episode, so I don't know if we ever gave this look, but against Wyoming this year and against West Virginia, two teams that use at least one tight end quite a lot, we actually brought in and we swapped out our – we call them the star position, the safety linebacker hybrid, mm-hmm. and brought in an extra – uh, I would call it edge or defensive end. We list him as yeah. an outside linebacker to basically go with like a five-two front. Right. And I think it worked pretty well. We didn't use it a lot. So I'm curious if if Baylor trots out a certain personnel, if you see any of that five-two without the safety hybrid on the field. That would be very interesting. I will say Baylor's got some pretty good tight ends. Drake Dabney was able to make a house call against Texas State, or I think it was Texas State from over from like half the field away. He's a he's a pretty good athlete at tight end. And then Roberts is probably the more pass catching downfield adept guy that transferred in from North Texas. So you've got the tight ends to potentially give you some matchup problems in the passing game if you do that. But yeah, uh, going with more of a true three, four 
set instead of the hybrid three four three three five that uh, a lot of these teams are basing out of to counteract the spread. I I could potentially see that, particularly if Baylor lines up in twelve personnel with two tight ends in there. That certainly would be on the offing at that point. Um, but yeah, I think they do have the ability to do a lot of things to stress you in coverage that could potentially hurt that. But depending on what your strategy is for dealing with the wide zone and the counteraction to those plays, a lot of the ways that they can punish teams for aligning incorrectly or taking or taking too aggressive a stance, stunning their line or having the linebackers flow really fast. Depending on what the strategy is, I could potentially see that being beneficial for Tech, or I could see it blowing up in their face, just depending on how they deploy it. Yeah, I also, with guys like Monterey Baldwin, I don't know if it's wise to take speed off the field, you know, to take a safety off the field and place him with an outside linebacker defensive end type. You know, it, you, it, I mean, that's the whole chess match is you punch, counter punch based on personnel and all that. So, anyway, I'm curious if we see that personal package from Tech if Baylor's using – multiple tight ends. It, it wouldn't surprise me. And probably the best description of Baylor's offense came from then Ole Miss DC, DJ Jerkin, who's now at a, I believe he's at AM now. And he compared it to Mike Leach's air raid. Only it's more run based where it's not necessarily, they do this one or two things. It's a kind of web of plays that fit together. So it's, it's not necessarily that, they've got a philosophy to kind of spread the ball around and attack every aspect of the field laterally. It's just, they do it with the run. Whereas Leach is throwing it 60 times a game. Right. Well, uh, like I said, great insight there. I think that it's going to help our listeners kind of understand what to expect on Saturday a lot better. Um, Rob, you ready to make some picks? Let's do it. I've, uh, I've got them pulled up. We, uh, we actually start on Friday night. Got big 12 action on Friday. Kansas state goes to Stillwater. Um, the Pokes are 11 and a half point underdogs. Uh, Sam, any feel on this game? You know, I'm just not buying Oklahoma State until I see that offense produce against a top caliber opponent. Um, you look at the yards per drive they put up in a lot of their games. It's, none of them have really been all that great if it's been an FV, if, if, if it's been a football bowls of division opponent. So I'm, um, Going back on whether I feel like they cover, but I think Kansas State wins it comfortably. I would agree, Rob. but uh, the Bowman Showman is uh, getting the nod. <laughs> Can they protect him? Oklahoma State's doubling down on the, the Showman being out there. So now I think Kansas State wins comfortably. Do they cover? I'm not sure. It's going to be a close one, but they'll win by at least 10. I think Oklahoma State, as bad as they are, they have a game this year in Stillwater where they don't go away quietly maybe even pull off the upset outright. But kind of like Sam said, I I don't know if I can predict that or pick that to happen until I see it. So it, 11 and a half is a lot of points, but I'll, I'll pick the Wildcats to cover. Uh, Saturday morning, we have the, the last Big 12 Red River rivalry showdown shootout, grudge match, brawl, whatever you want to call it. Um, OU, six and a half point underdogs to Texas. Game with obviously Big 12 title implications, college football playoff implications. Sam, your thoughts on the six and a half there? Yeah, um, I'm, I've got to go with Texas here. Um, Oklahoma's running a variation of the old Bryles offense with Bryles' son in law, Jeff Levy, calling the plays. 
And while Oklahoma's really been able to light up a lot of the defenses they've played, Cincinnati was able to slow them down. Iowa State's kind of not going to provide the same kind of matchups in the trenches that Texas will. So they give you some vulnerabilities that the Longhorns won't. I feel like long the Longhorns have the guys in the box to really slow that run game down without having to devote extra bodies. So you're not going to have as many easy shots. Obviously, it's not going to be anything like last year because Oklahoma's not going to be try to, trotting a tight end out at quarterback. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I think the Longhorns cover. And, uh, you know, it's something where neither one really is faced the kind of schedule that you like to see. Because I don't feel like Texas's defense has been all that tested, but I feel like that part of their defense is going to hold up against Oklahoma. But, I mean, who, who have they faced offensively? Bama, people are wanting to fire the offensive coordinator. Baylor, I mean, we were an injury ward going into that game and uh, didn't have shape. And, and even if we did, it would have been tough. I'm not saying it would have changed the outcome, but it would certainly would have given us a better picture of where Texas is at. And I mean, I know Wyoming's a better team than people give them credit for, but they're not exactly lighting up the scoreboard like USC, you know, and then you've got Rice. I mean, and then Kansas didn't have Jalen Daniels. And while it was impressive to hold Jason Bean there, it's, it's not the same. And it, again, it wouldn't have changed the outcome but it would have given us a better picture of where they're at, you know. I think Texas will lose a game this year, but uh, they won't lose to Oklahoma. Give me Texas to cover. I, I don't think it's going to be 49 to nothing again. <laughs> that was a special thing last year, but I do think that Texas will win. I think Texas is a better team. I've not been impressed with Oklahoma so far this year. I lean Texas. I do think they're more battle-tested. I know – Alabama's offensive struggles are very real, but there's something to be said for going into Tuscaloosa and winning that high profile of a game. Uh, the only thing that worries me is Oklahoma did lose this game 49 to zero last year. And I do think guys on the coaching staff, guys on the roster kind of remember that and wear that and might come out with an extra edge. But I think Texas is the better team. They're more battle tested at this point. So I'll, I'll lean that way, but I won't be surprised at all if, if the Sooners have something for them. Um, Kansas hosts UCF, very tight line. I'm showing UCF plus one and a half, so nearly a pick them there in Lawrence. Sam, do you have any thoughts on this one? You, you've seen uh, one of these two teams. Yeah, um, my read on UCF is they're a very productive offense that can generate a lot of explosive plays, but their defense is struggling, particularly against the run, and they have not been all that great on turnover battle, which – you know, how did Baylor beat them? They were able to do some defensive things in the red zone against a team that hasn't been all that effective in the offensive red zone. They were able to force some turnovers against a team that gave up a lot of turnovers and they were able to get some consistent production on the ground against a team that's been largely struggling to stop people on the ground. Uh, I feel like assuming Jalen Daniels is back, I feel like Kansas is going to take it, but I think it'll be close. Uh, UCF is certainly no pushover. Ask Kansas State. You know, they went in with a backup quarterback into Manhattan, which is not an easy play, not an easy place to play. And you, KSU pulled away late, but it was a dogfight through the vast majority of that game. I've got it around 31-28 KU. Um, but if Daniels doesn't play, I could easily flip that. I feel like I'm just trailing Sam here, but uh, I agree. I, I think Jalen Daniels is the big key. If he plays, I think Kansas can absolutely win the game. But, man, Gus Malzahn went full Gus Malzahn last week against Baylor. 
that is that is what he does in big moments. He just absolutely crumples. Um, is it a big moment against Kansas? The the home opener, the the pageantry of being the very first Big Twelve game. That's a huge moment for for Malzahn. They crumple. Um, I think Kansas is a team that they can beat and need to beat if they want to be competitive in the Big Twelve over the next couple of years. Maybe they show themselves. Maybe they bounce back. I don't know. We'll we'll take UCF here. Side note, the number of Baylor fans who use some form of the pun. Rob, did you lose him? Yeah, I did. I'm back. Okay, there he is. Yeah, I'm back. But yeah, some the number of Baylor fans making puns about ruining their fiesta has been amazing over the last (laughs) week. It, it is funny. You know, this isn't going to last forever. Um, I feel like when Texas know you left, the remaining schools kind of banded together in a way they hadn't before. And it is fun to sort of play big brother to the newcomers. And yeah. the newcomers still have not beaten a legacy Big 12 <laughs> school. I think UCF is tired of hearing about that, and I think they beat Kansas. So I'll take the Knights plus one and a half. Would never bet on this game without knowing who's playing quarterback for either team because I think there's sure. some question about Plumley as well as Daniels. But I think this is the week that a uh, newcomer finally knocks off a legacy school. This is the only opportunity for the newcomers this weekend. So if they don't do it, then we've got another full week of that storyline. TCU coming off the loss to West Virginia as 13 or 14-point favorites was the closing line. They are giving six and a half to Iowa State in Ames. Um, on this one, I, I remember the, the Kenny Trill TCU team. I think they went up to Ames undefeated as like 10-point favorites or maybe it was like eight-point favorites. And that was back before our, like Iowa State started winning a little bit under Campbell, and I thought, oh, this is a cakewalk. And Ames kind of is Ames sometimes. So I'm, I'm weary, but I'm going to take the Frogs – Honestly, kind of as a little bit of an emotional hedge because I hope that they're not that good. <laughs> um, but I could totally see Iowa State making this really tough game on them. But I'll I'll pick the Frogs to cover the six and a half. I'm going to pick the Frogs as well. Um, I like Iowa State as a program. I think they've done a great job building to where they've been. But, you know, you have unexpected departures right before the season. I don't think they're firing on all cylinders. And I think TCU's just got a better roster right now, and I think it's gonna, I think it's gonna bear fruit. And unlike the game you referenced, the uh, kind of drop eight dime is a little bit more, it's a little more advanced than the offensive defensive game of cat and mouse. And I don't think the Cyclones offense is mature enough at this point to really counter it. And um, to be fair, both teams are running variations of that defense, so you're really kind of debating the offenses and how the personnel fits. I think the frogs probably cover there. What time is the game? <laughs> it's a night game. Ooh. Give, give me Jack Trice at night. Uh, <laughs> go do. This is a spot. We thought last week was a spot, but we both pick o- Oklahoma. Uh, this is a spot for TCU to uh, go down in Ames. They are wearing the the Jack Trice uniforms, and uh, the bad news is it's on Fox Sports too, so nobody's gonna be able to see it. Hopefully there's pictures somewhere on the internet of those uniforms because I, I was excited when they <laughs> rolled those out. Um, last one, save the best for last, the butt bowl. Uh, I saw this open, like Baylor minus one. 
I'm showing here on the action app, Texas Tech minus one and a half. Let, let's call it a pick em, and we'll just cut to the chase and ask you for your score prediction and maybe how you see the game unfolding before it arrives at that final score. Yeah, I mean, for me, it really comes down to how well is Baylor able to manage the run defensively? Because I think offensively, Baylor's going to have a pretty decent day just with what they've been able to do with the wide zone in the past and with the progression in the passing game. Tech's got a good defense, but I feel like schematically Baylor has some advantages going against Deruder. Um, I feel like they'll be able to keep that going, but I'm envisioning something along the lines of 30 to 27 in either direction. Um, I'm leaning towards, I'm leaning towards, honestly, I'm leaning towards tech. This team has uh, been so kind of hit or miss over the course of the season. They're just going to, I'm just going to need to see it a little more before I'm going to put myself out there and place the bet on them. So. Uh, on a podcast I've already recorded, I said 31-28. So, again, Sam and I on the same point <laughs> here. Uh, kind of spooky how close it is, but uh, 31-28, somebody will win this game. All right, I'll go different. I'll say 56-3. to No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I don't feel great about this as a Tech fan. And, Rob, I'll save my reasoning maybe for our, our final thoughts segment later on, but I don't think we'll win – and I could actually see Baylor like pulling away a little bit. Um, I don't think he gets too out of hand like last year, but wouldn't shock me at all, even though this is a toss-up pick em kind of game, if, if Baylor wins by seven or ten points. I just looking at what how Baylor struggled against UCF, um, it was explosive plays from UCF's offense, which Sam alluded to. They had two one-play drives and a lot of pressure on Shapin. And what is Texas Tech bad at? Generating explosive plays on offense and pressuring the opposing team's quarterback. So I think Baylor might be able to play the exact style of game that they want to play. I don't know if our defense is going to be able to overcome that. So I'll I'll say something like 31-24 Baylor. Well, I mean, the way I the way I see it, last year you had about 38 yards per drive for Baylor and 23 for Tech. But the number that really jumps out at you is the 41, 42% of Tech's drives that ended in a turnover. You know, um, I don't see that happening again. I mean, Baron Morton was coming off two great games going into that. And then you had him with the fake screen and then forced it deep and it got picked. And then he tried to force it on the post wheel flat combination where he tried to hit the wheel route. And then, you know, you had the one in the end zone. Good pick six. You know, I don't envision that happening again. And it, while I think Baylor's offense will have a productive day, I don't think it's going to look the same as last year. They're going to have to have some different plan to keep that toss play or the wide zone, whichever angle of it, to keep from eating them alive. It's going to look different on that side of the ball, but I think it'll still be somewhat productive. But I'm really kind of concerned on the Baylor defensive side because Tech is one of those teams that the fourth downs can be such an inflection point. Ask Lane Kiffin about that. Um, you know, that can really eat you alive in a very close hurry. And if Baylor's not stopping the run without committing extra bodies, that that kid you have that has the track speed that transferred in a slot receiver, I, I don't want him singled up on our guys. You know, um, you know, you guys got some other good talent receiver. So if Tech's able to run the ball and force Baylor to commit extra guys, whether it's the thousand cuts of fourth down after fourth down after fourth down being converted in short yarded situations, or whether it's the big plays, 
that's where I see this game really turning, regardless of who wins. Yeah, that was a stat that we talked about before you joined us. Baylor allowing 85% conversions on fourth down right now. I think 114th or somewhere, you know, very low nationally. And, of course, that's a big part of McGuire's philosophy. He wants to be aggressive on fourth down. They're always looking they're, – they're calling plays on third down with the mindset of if we get half of it here or four or five yards here, we're going to go for it on fourth down. So, Yeah, um, Baylor's done that very similar since 2021. Yeah, so that, that – uh, with you there, if it – if we go for it four or five times on fourth down, that those of course are huge game altering plays. Yeah. Well, uh, Sam, before we let you go, tell the people where they can find you. Y'all, I know y'all do great work over there and actually just interviewed Joey. So tell the people where they can find all that. Yeah. I uh, contribute to Sikkim365.com and uh, a lot of my stuff's on the premium section there where I'm previewing who we play. And then during the off season, I'll do a lot of stuff on realignment and television ratings, TV windows, whenever all that mess is going down, uh, just with different schools changing conferences. Are they, are they not? And the business side of it that uh, unfortunately is taking a lot of uh, rivalries off the table, but is still very, very interesting to follow in its own right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. And uh, will you be at the game on Saturday? Um, unfortunately not going to be able to make it down, but I'm definitely, uh, definitely going to be watching and definitely very intrigued as to this matchup. Uh, just, it's one of those that can be very season altering for both sides, but after this week, best of luck to the Red Raiders. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. Appreciate it, Sam. All right. That was, uh, Sam Bradshaw from Sikkim 365. Uh, we've made our picks. We've talked about the game. You ready for a Matador Transit mailbag? Let's do it. You've got mail. Mail time. I found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic-tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? In honor of Butt Week, what is your favorite butt? Was it Chris Berman who did the Yeah Butt segment? Probably. I think that sounds familiar, yes. I'll go with that one. I would say Outside nice, the box. I would say a nice pork butt would be my favorite. Okay. Yeah. Uh, are the rumors true that Rob is now dating Taylor Swift? No, it's not true. It's not. It's not true. Uh, how do we feel about Jimmy Butler's headshot? Have you seen it? Terrible. You don't like that? No, I hate it. Oh, hate it? No, I they. Hate it. You don't. You don't like lip rings? No, I'm actively rooting against the Miami Heat this year. Did you like all of the the jokes, the Jimmy Heat world? Yeah, there was a good ball. Fallout Boy. Ball, uh, ball, out ball, ball out. yeah. <laughs> Those were good. Uh, start bench cut these pizza crusts. Hand toss, stuffed crust, thin crust. I'm going to say something that might ruffle some feathers here, Rob, with the American people. Stuffed crust pizza is overrated. Wow. Say it's, it's the best. 
it's not bad, but it's overrated. Like I'm not paying $6 extra for stuffed crust and like, sounds good. looks really good on the commercial. Then you get it. And you're like, yeah, this is okay. Yeah. Um, I like thin crust and then I'll actually, I'll bench just your original hand toss and then I'll, I'll cut the stuffed crust. Wow. I think I would bench stuffed crust. Uh, Power rank your favorite top three college rivalry game nicknames. Like Iron Bowl, Butt Bowl, the Iron Skillet, the Golden Boot. Farmageddon has to be up there. I like the Riot Bowl as well. Riot Bowl, yeah. I think Minnesota, Wisconsin is – sorry, that's Minnesota and Wisconsin. I think that's like the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Yeah. I was thinking like, the brown jug, but that's a that's a different Minnesota game. I think that might be Minnesota, Michigan. Maybe. But like, imagine explaining to somebody from another country, "This is the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe." They're like, wait, why are they playing for this? Who is Paul Bunyan? I think that's what makes college football great is the, yeah. the quirkiness. So I put those two up there. What's another one? I like the battle for the saddle. That's a good one, aka the West Texas Championship. I'm going to go outside the box again here and say convicts versus Catholics. That's a good one. And Not a build- traditional rivalry, but. No. Uh, and then building off of that uh, from the COVID year, Mormons versus mullets. That was a good one. Yeah. T-shirts and everything. Um, Who plays for the Shillelagh? Oh. Is that another Minnesota game? Is that, is that Michigan, Michigan State? It's a Big Ten one. Yeah, like the Big Indi- Ten has a lot of good trophies. Or Indiana, Purdue, or I don't know. Who oh, who plays for the nine-foot uh, Indian chief? Is that Tarleton and um, – is that Tarleton, Texas State? I have no idea. Uh, Stephen F. Austin maybe in Tarleton? Somebody plays for a 10-foot uh, tall Indian statue. We'll have to, add, we'll have to uh, Google that one real quick. This is the opposite of what the question asked, but maybe the worst rivalry name or like most boring is Alabama, Tennessee. The Iron Iron Bowl? No. That's Alabama, Auburn. Alabama, Tennessee. I don't know that one. It's like third Saturday in October or first Saturday in October. It's it's literally just the date that they play it. All right, I'm trying to Google the trophy. Chief Cato. Stephen F. Austin is currently uh, holding Stephen F. Austin's Chief Cato. Northwestern State and Stephen F. Austin, Chief Cato. It's a nine-foot Indian. Okay, so that's Nacogdoches first Natchitoches. Is that right? Yeah. So there you go. Northwestern State leads the all-time series 45-28-3. Wow. But Stephen F. Austin beat him forty-one to seven last year. All right, glad we cleared that up. Uh, which player and position group has been the biggest disappointment so far? Put you on the spot here. Biggest disappointment. So this is relative to expectations. Yeah, I'll, I'll say edge rushers it has to be, especially because Joey said that was a better group this year than last year. If they had managed expectations and like if I had known that Isaac Smith was going to be out back in like June, which isn't when his injury occurred, but and they had said like, hey, we're we're taking a flyer on this 
backup from Syracuse rather than saying, hey, we brought in this NFL guy and Miles Cole is actually going to be better than Tyree Wilson, then I would have tempered expectations. But, yeah, like I thought both dudes were going to just absolutely tear it up and be all conference type guys with, you know, shooting for double digit sacks and they're not going to get there or probably really even close to it. So relative to expectations, I'd say those guys. Agreed. And I think that's an obvious one. I, I think you could also say maybe wide receivers, but you've had some some quarterback uh, back and forth and some injuries there, injuries at wide receiver coming in and out. So I think defensively you'd absolutely look at uh, the address position. Yeah. Uh, last one this is a small mailbag today. We're going to finish before the music stops. Oh, what are the odds? Uh. Start, bench, cut, soccer, volleyball, softball. I'm assuming this is women's sports at Tech. I would probably go – man, uh, soccer and volleyball is close for me. I'll probably give the nod to volleyball and then bench soccer, but it's very close, and then cut softball. I've just, for some reason, never really gotten into softball. Maybe it's because they have the male equivalent – Whereas, like, we don't have a men's soccer team or a men's volleyball team. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because the field is so small. Playoff softball is really, really fun. It, yeah. Softball's fun. But I would put the other two over it. I like volleyball and soccer probably more than softball. You mean that year, I think maybe 2018, yeah, 19-ish, yeah. when we were in that LSU regional, that was fun. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, like I know it can be entertaining when it's kind of at the highest level there for sure. Final thoughts? Yeah, everybody wants to kill the bear. Nobody wants to hold the axe. So I'll, I'll, I'll label my keys to the game or I'll name my keys to the game uh, holding the axe this week. Okay. Touch on some of this with Sam, but I'm curious if we do roll out that 5-2 or three, four, whatever you want to call it, but a true seven-man box rather than playing with a star position. Um, against what Baylor wants to do and what he was talking about, some of those wrinkles they add with the tight end um, kind of off their base outside zone run game. wonder if that could be effective. And that, what that would probably look like is having Bradford and Hutchings in the game, of course, and then, like, let's say it's Linton and Cole at the end spots, adding a data ray instead of, C.J. Baskerville at star or something like that. Again, we saw that against Wyoming, saw it against West Virginia when they were using tight end personnel. Wonder if we see that on Saturday. As far as like other matchup stuff, my next key to the game is it's time for somebody on offense to be explosive. Taj Brooks, as good as he is, his longest carry this season is like 30-something yards. And you don't really need more than that from him. Like, I will take gashing them for 8 or 12 all day long. But what Baylor is apparently vulnerable to is the big play. And, like, you don't have big play offense. It's kind of Cameron Valdez, but he has, what, 10 touches all year? Like, if he's going to get 10 touches on Saturday, then I feel good about his odds of breaking one. But if he gets four, I don't know. And so is it is it Jerron Bradley's time to step up? He was a downfield threat for you last year against Oklahoma State, against OU. Maybe it's his time to shine. Maybe it's Miles Price. Maybe it's Dre McCray. 
I think this defense is ripe for it. So I'd like to see somebody step up and fill that role. Next key to the game, don't be their get-right game in the red zone. They're terrible at converting yards into points. They're terrible at converting red zone opportunities into points. One, make them earn it. If you give up a 70-yard play to Monterey Baldwin, you're not forcing them to run their offense and earn it in the red zone. So make them stay on the field, run some plays to get down inside the 20, and then when they're there, don't break and see if you can hold them to a field goal or a fourth down attempt. But as bad as they've been with their red zone offense, I would hate for you to be their get-right game where they make three trips to the red zone and get 21 points off of it. That would be brutal. That would be brutal. Um, I still don't think they want to throw it as much as they have. Like I said, I think that was a byproduct of them trailing in all these games and having to play catch-up. So force them into that. Don't let them establish the run. Don't let them get away from what they don't want to do. Now, easier said than done, especially with a team that runs the kind of personnel they do and is as committed to running the ball as they are. Um, They get Monterey Baldwin and Jordan Neighbors involved a lot of different ways. So even if they're not throwing the ball downfield to these guys, they'll give them, you know, end around reverses or bubble screens, stuff like that. Um, Goes back to making them earn it. If you're going to try to force a bad red zone offense to earn their points, you can't give them a 50, 60 yard touchdown. So we need to have an extra eye on those two guys for sure. And then the last one is just play a clean game. Um, Baylor's not a great team. I don't feel like there's a lot of ways they can exploit you, but if you shoot yourself in the foot with bad penalties that back up the offense and keep you from moving the chains, if you turn the ball over, if you extend drives by hitting them out of bounds or roughing the passer, I think that's a way that they can beat you. And like I said, you're 25 yards per game worse in penalty yardage so far this season than Baylor. Let's hope that what happened against Houston, one penalty for five yards continues on Saturday. Um, don't beat yourself because their defense really hasn't beaten a lot of teams on their own. And so don't play into that. Play a clean game. Those are my five or so bullet points that we'll circle back to on Saturday and see how we did. Have to play a clean game. And it would be an absolute nightmare if they got right in the red zone and you didn't get any red zone stops. Because they have been really bad. I'm also intrigued about this uh, deep snapper uh, trouble. Because I, I didn't realize that they had gotten a deep snapper hurt when they were talking about it on the broadcast because I joined the game late. Uh, but deep snapper is really important on uh, punt coverage and field goals. So... We'll see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, imagine a worst-case red zone trip for Texas Tech, obviously giving up seven points versus a worst case for Baylor. They have to settle for a field goal, and they have a bad snap, botched field goal, they get zero points, and then everything in between. You blocked a punt last week, talked about that with Sam. If that snap is slow or it's off to the side and it, you know the punter has to take a hitch step to go grab it, those split seconds can make a big difference, and who knows, maybe we'll get to another one. Uh, but, yeah, certainly something to watch. I, I wasn't aware of that injury. I was aware that their their big linebacker transfer from Liberty, I'm blanking on his name, I think it's Mike Smith. Mike Smith, our uh, newcomer of the year. Yeah, he's out for the year, unfortunately. A big piece for their defense. Are we cursed? I don't know. Uh, Jalen Ford is doing just fine for himself. 
But yeah, Jalen Daniels, and there's some other guys. We put, I think we put Max Tooley at BYU on our list. He was an off the radar guy. He's having a really good season. Um, we put Malik Dunlap on ours, much to the chagrin of Iowa State and TJ Tampa fans. He has three picks. So I think when you shoot your shot like that, there's going to be some good and some bad. We also, I convinced you to not pick West Virginia last, and that's going to pay off. That's true. They're not going to finish last. Do we have Houston last? I think we did. Or Iowa State, maybe. No, I think, I... I think we moved Iowa State down after the gambling oh, scandal. Yeah. That's right. But yeah, I think we'll get the bottom three teams right. I think we had at the bottom Iowa State, then Houston, then Cincinnati. I think there's a good shot, those yeah. three. Maybe uh maybe the showman has something to say about it though. The showman, baby. Got uh, got the nod this week. I don't know why they keep having to give him the nod. He's just the starting quarterback at this point. But it's like it's game six. Yeah, know. we got it. Either you have a quarterback or you don't. Yeah, he's the starter. We got it. That's all I got, man. So it should be some competitive games in the Big Twelve. You know, our we've got the Friday night one. Our spread is really close. Kansas UCF spread is really close. TCU Iowa State within a touchdown, and the favored team is the road team, so that could get interesting. Yeah, and then the Red River rivalry showdown shootout. Absolutely. All right. If you're going to be at the game, go find Kyle. He will buy you unlimited beers inside the stadium. Yes. Beers inside McLean Stadium are on me all weekend. Let's go. Hey, where do, where do people go to find uh, your write-ups and uh, TV numbers and some old interviews we've done? Thank you for asking because I'm a little bit pissed off at Elon Musk and Twitter which is actually called X now, if you didn't know that. Yeah, you got corrected today. And, uh, yeah, if you call it Twitter, an Elon fanboy will tell you that it's actually X. So I did what I do most weeks, compiled what I thought was an interesting thread of various connections between Texas Tech and Baylor, both just the schools in general and between this year's teams. And Elon just straight up won't let me tweet it out. There's nothing, obviously, vulgar or profane or – any violation of terms and services just won't let me tweet. And so I said, Twitter sucks. And who knows, maybe we'll, maybe we won't tweet anymore, but if you want, you know, a feed of our thoughts, want to interact with us, like we used to be able to do on Twitter, you can do that in our discord server, which you'll have access to. If you become a parlay picador, which is our Patreon subscribers, it's patreon.com slash gambling gauchos, $5 a month get access to the Discord server. And then most weeks we have like an analytics versus odds piece, a uh, kind of final thoughts on the game piece. Uh, missed it last week due to travel and because we won, so there's less to dissect. Um, portion of all proceeds go to the Matador Club, but it's a good time. And it's to this point more reliable than X. So maybe we'll put the six degrees behind a paywall this week and – until Elon can figure it out. We'll just do it there. Figure it out, Elon. Like I'm trying to, I feel like you and I, we put out engaging content on social media. We're trying to help you. We probably bring users to your platform, bring eyeballs to the platform. You would think that'd be something that he would want to encourage and facilitate on his platform. But maybe not. And so we'll go to a different platform if we have to. If we have to. Threads it is.
Oh, no. no, Patreon. Sorry. Yeah. We'll do it on Patreon. So, yeah, be a parlay picador. We have like a, I don't know, 85% customer satisfaction rate. It's got to so, be at least. That's pretty good. Yeah. Certainly are some some negatives, but I think it's all positive there. So, right. we, we were kind of joking earlier about free beers at McLean. That, that would kind of press my budget. You get one free beer at McLean, but unlimited free beer if you're a parlay picador. I will buy you if you're a parlay picador. I'll buy you up to probably twenty beers before they cut you off at McLean. Nice. I'll buy them for your entire friend group, family section. If you're a parlay picador, good. Yeah, you're so generous. I, I, I and oh, I know yeah. you to be a generous man, but I mean, look, we're making five dollars a month off these people, four dollars and something cents after Patreon gets their cut. We have to do something generous with the money. So why not buy every person in the stadium as many beers as they want? So just go find Kyle. He'll be uh he'll be in red. Yeah, I'll be in a tech shirt and tech hat. Yeah, maybe even a gambling gauchos hat. Maybe. All right, that's all I got. Love y'all. Go Twins. Go Rangers. <laughs>